So let me start today with a question, and it may seem like a really easy question, a really intuitive question, but when we really drill down on it, I think it's something that we, we want to grapple with um, as a congregation. And the question is this, what is the purpose of church? What's the purpose of church? Why do we have church? Um, all of us have some experience with church. If you're here today, you are having an experience with church. Um, it, it, you know, some of us probably grew up in church most of our lives, maybe uh, stayed in church our whole life. Some of us started out in church as little kids, and then we sort of drifted off in our high school years and college, and now we're kind of coming back around. Um, some people, you're coming here, and this is like your sort of first experience with church. But we all have some familiarity with it. We've driven by thousands of churches in our lifetime. We know people that go to church. But when we really drill down and say, what is the purpose of church, sometimes it's not that easy to, to, to fathom and to grasp. Um, we had a, a session a few weeks ago with a bunch of our leaders, our trustees and our elders and our leadership team. We all got together. And the purpose for getting together, one of the main purposes, was to refine our vision statement. Like the, the statement that says, why does this church exist and what is our purpose and what is our vision and where are we going and how do we describe our church to people? Because we want to be able to have a vision statement that is transferable, meaning you can remember it, you know it, and you can say when people, you're in a parking lot, like I was the other day at a schnooks about 10 o'clock at night and started talking to someone about our church, which I'm likely to do, you know, if you find me anywhere at any time, um, you know, what's that statement that says, okay, this is the kind of church that we are. Um, and then at this leadership retreat, we watched a little video by a guy named Andy Stanley, and some of you who know some of you know him. Um, he's really good about sort of clarifying vision and clarifying and refining a vision statement. Um, and so he talked in this video about these different kind of vision statements of different organizations. I'll share a couple of them with you. One of them was the vision statement for eBay. Anybody ever use eBay to buy stuff or sell stuff? Yeah. So eBay, their vision statement is this. They say, we are a global platform where practically anyone can trade practically anything. That's their vision statement. It's very easy. Where It's a global platform where practically anyone can trade practically anything, right? It's a good vision statement because you get what they're all about. Um, Bono, you guys know the singer from U2. He has the one, uh, the one organization that's, that's directed at helping to alleviate poverty around the world. Their vision statement is very simple. Make poverty history. That's their vision statement, right? So when you talk to them about what they're doing and who they are and what they're about, it's very easy. They say, we're here to make poverty history. That's our vision. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. Make poverty, poverty history. history. Um, this week I was doing some, some research and I was looking up, I was trying to find the really early vision statement of, of the Ford company. Um, because like in the 19, 1913, there, were, there had been cars, automobiles had existed for a decade or so. Um, but but they were only available to people that were extremely rich, and they were just sort of like a, a really high-priced item, and people would drive them around for, for fun, but, but your average person was still riding a horse and buggy. And uh, Henry Ford said in 1913, he published this in an article, and his vision statement was this. He said, um, I will build a motor car for the great multitude. In other words, he's saying, I want to make a car that if you have a job, you can buy this car. And by 1927, 17 million Model Ts had rolled off the Ford company plant uh, floor because he had a vision about what they were doing. 
um, Andy Stanley in this video, he says that their church's vision statement is, we want to build churches that unchurched people love to attend. That's kind of a cool vision statement, right? Because he's saying, like, we want to create an environment where people who aren't going to church, who don't have any background necessarily in church, can come and they'll love coming here. And then they'll tell their friends, well, why don't you come? And then, you know, that's the church they want to build. So I love that. So we started brainstorming. You're going to love this. We started brainstorming with our our leaders and everything. We started writing down like all these possible vision statements and how do we refine it, okay? And so I'm going to read you a few of them. There there were a few highlights. There were some good ones. Um, Here's some good ones. One was building people, building community. That's a pretty good vision statement. I like that. That's a strong vision statement. Building people, building community. A second one was come as you are, stay for the change. Come as you are, stay for the change. That's also a good one. Yeah, there it is. Come as you are, stay for the change. Um, those are good. Third one was authentic, joyful community where you can feel at home. U City Family Church, authentic, joyful community where you, that kind of grabs who we are, that kind of tells who we are. Now, <clears throat> we also had a few that were um, not quite as good, okay? If you've, have you guys ever been to a meeting and they go, hey, listen, guys, in here there are no bad ideas? Have you ever been to that? Okay, that's not true, okay? There are bad ideas, okay, because we got some. So, um, I'll tell you a couple. Here, here, were some, here were some that didn't rise to the top, let's just say. U City Family Church, dysfunctional losers welcome here. I mean, that's true. I mean, it is true. But do you want to lead with that? Um, U <laughs> City Family Church, we're, we are a church where all kinds of people enjoy eating mints. It's like, also technically true. U um, City Family Church, Come for church, stay for the matinee. So, (laughs) we're still working on it, okay? (laughs) But the point is, what is the purpose of the church? We need to grab... Uh, we, we need to grab a statement that really identifies who we are and what we're about. Um, but before we can do that, we have to understand what the word church means. What does it really mean? If you go into Google right now, Google Images, and type in church, you're going to get a whole bunch of pictures of buildings. That's what you're going to get. Because a lot of people right in the, immediately in your mind, you think of church, you go, oh yeah, a church. There's a church. It's a building. In fact, you've got the, the kids... Uh, thing, the little rhyme that kids go like this. They go, this is the church, right? This is the steeple. Open the door. There's all the people. You ever done that? Um, so that's, that's, you know, what people think of. Other people think of church as like a social club where people just come together, they hang out, they check each other's outfits out, you know, they see how their new hairdos are doing, and they just kind of have a good time with each other, and that's a social club. Other people think it's just a repository for like uh, ethical and moral teaching. Like you come here and you learn how to walk straight and do right and don't mess up and be productive and all that. And it's just a, a place where it's just a moral and ethical, you know, factory where you just learn about how you're supposed to act, right? Other people that are more cynical about church think of it as sort of this intellectual backwater where people who are afraid of progress and afraid of change and afraid of development and afraid of knowledge and afraid of science all come together and they huddle together and they comfort each other with old mythologies and folk tales and they think that's what church is, right? So people have all different kinds of concepts about what church is. But if we really want to understand what it is, what it's supposed to be, what it's about, we need to go to the person who started it. We need to go to the person who began the church, 
the person about whom the church exists, the person who started it. Uh, And what's interesting is Jesus only used the word church twice in the Gospels, only two times in the Gospels. Um, And in the times that he used the word church, uh, he used a word, an Aramaic word that we don't know because we we don't know it wasn't recorded in Aramaic. It was recorded in Greek. And the Greek word is ecclesia. Um, and it's, it's just, uh-oh, we lost it. There it is. Ecclesia. Um, and this word never, in the history of the Greek language, ever referred to a, a building or a, 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 you know, a, an institution or anything like that. It always referred to an assembly of people, a group of people coming together, coming out of their homes, coming out of their culture, coming out from wherever they came from, from all over the place, to unite together to form a a gathering, a, a congregation, an assembly, all for the purpose of going out and doing stuff, fulfilling the, fulfilling the mission of what Jesus was all about. That's what he meant when he said church. It's a group of people that are coming from all different backgrounds and languages and cultures who are coming together to fulfill the purpose that he started, right? To fulfill the purpose of Jesus. And that's what we're going to get into. Because even though he never used the word church, he only used it twice, didn't talk about it extensively. He talked about it through parables, through metaphors, through stories. He always talked about the church, but he would couch it in language that was a story or a narrative or a a, a parable. And so I'm going to read you from Luke chapter 15, because this is a chapter where he really gets into what it's all about. What is the heartbeat of God? And in this scripture, he says this, Luke chapter 15, it says, now, Jesus was out teaching, you know, performing mighty works, doing all this stuff. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. So this word sinner, you know, we get kind of hung up on this word. What it means is people that got off track, people that are not, you know, hitting the mark in their lives. They've gotten derailed somewhere. They've gone the wrong direction. And if all of us can't agree that that represents us to some extent, um, then we're missing the mark. We're off track, okay? Um, so now you can. Okay, good. So, but, but the, all the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They were all coming close to him. They were pressing in on him. Um, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So there, there, there's this group of Pharisees and scribes. These are the religious elites that are hanging around listening to him. And then there's a big group of other people that are coming and pressing in near him and trying to get near him. And, and, and the, the religious folks are grumbling. They're not happy about this, right? Because Jesus is not gathering the usual suspects. He's not, gra- you know, it's not like... Uh, you know, a group of seminary students are following Jesus around to see what his particular spin on the scripture is. It's no, it's, it's all of these folks, these, uh, you know, sinners and tax collectors and all manner of people. And the, the religious folks get upset by this. And Jesus can see this happening. He can see this dynamic. He can see that when the other folks are pressing in, you know, he, it, the religious people are getting mad. And, and this word receives, they, they get mad because they say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. This word receives, this is an active word. This means that he is actively seeking them. He's actually pursuing them. He's warmly welcoming them. He's throwing open his arms and saying, hey, come and come press near to me. Come close to me. So he's participating in that. And not only is he doing that, he's actually going to their homes and he's sitting down with them and he's eating with them. And he's spending time with them. So this is not not what the religious elites want, right? So this is what Jesus does. In that context, he says, all right, I'm going to tell you a story. 
So he told this parable. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost? So if you had a hundred sheep, one went out, you would go after it. You would go out after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And then he says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over one person that got off track, over one person that got derailed, over one person that went the wrong direction. There'll be more joy in heaven over that person than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Powerful, powerful passage. Now, when I was in college, I house sat for one of my professors. And my professor had this cat that he loved very much. Now, a lot of us here already know that cats are of the devil. And so, um, but some people don't. But um, so I'm house sitting with this guy for this guy who has a cat. And this guy loves this cat. There are framed pictures of this cat hanging up. Okay, this cat goes on vacation with this guy. This cat has outfits. And that's where I drew the line. I'm like, dude, I'm not putting an outfit on the cat. I'm just not. Um, but, but so he's got this cat, loves this cat, and for... Two days, I am solely responsible for the health and welfare of this cat. Um, And he had particular rules, too, about how I was to feed the cat. Because my thought was, put the food out, the cat will eat the food. The cat will sustain its life through eating the food, right? No. I had to cut the food in the can into four quarters. If this describes you, we need to pray for you, okay? Now, um, I had to cut it into four quarters, I had to feed the cat breakfast at 9 a.m., 9 a.m. promptly. There was actually a bell. I'm not joking, you guys. Bell, ring the bell, cat comes, feed the cat, 9 a.m. breakfast. Noon, another quarter, feed the cat lunch. This is the one that really almost just pushed me over the edge. 3 o'clock, cocktail hour. (laughs) Feed the cat a quarter of the can, cocktail hour. 6 o'clock, dinner, feed the cat dinner. So... Anyway, I'm slightly annoyed by this cat at this point, right? The other problem with the cat is when I would go to bed, the cat, I didn't want the cat in the room with me. And the cat would uh, scratch at the door and meow so I couldn't fall asleep. So then I would open the door to the bedroom and the cat would come in and would bite my toes through the blanket. (laughs) Bite my toes through the blanket. I'm not kidding you, folks. Are there cat owners in here? Okay. We're going to have a special altar call at the end. He's biting my toes through the blanket. So I'm curled up in a ball, keeping all of my extremities away from the cat so that I can sleep. It was terrible. And um, so that the next day, the next evening, I thought, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to take advantage of this situation. This house that I was house-sitting was like 50 times bigger than my apartment. So I just called up a bunch of people and friends and said, hey, why, why don't you guys just come over and let's just hang out. Let's have a little party here. I deserve it at this point. I slept badly. You know, I'm feeding cocktail hour. You know, it's a, you know. So everybody comes over. Well, in the coming and going and the shuffling of people, the cat gets away. Yeah, the cat got out. Now, I start to panic 
not because I'm worried about the cat, but I'm worried about my grade, you know, and, and so we just fan out. We leave, you know, everybody at the party leaves the house. We're all over the neighborhood trying to find the cat, calling for the cat. Where's the cat, you know? And finally, that we found the cat. The cat was sort of prancing down. I'm just thinking, like, we need to replace the cat and find another cat. But we found the cat. I was so happy to see that cat. Grabbed that cat, brought the cat home. Now, I never told the professor about this situation. Technically, he could listen right now to this um, this podcast. But um, I think that if I had told him, first of all, he would have been very upset about me losing the cat, okay? But I think that that emotion would have been overridden by his utter sheer joy that the cat had been returned home safely, right? I didn't have any particular affinity or affection for the cat, but the guy I worked for did. And that's what mattered. Jesus in this story says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sheep that is brought home who is lost to the fold than all of the other sheep who never get lost. If you want to know what the heartbeat of Jesus is, if you want to know what makes God glad, it's when we, his people, his ecclesia, his assembly, his gathering, his group, have such a clear, pure-sighted vision that we are opening our doors to every single human being who is out there struggling and wandering and off track and afraid and alone, and we're saying, come in and rejoice with us. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what the purpose of his ecclesia is, at least one of the core purposes of his assembly is. Now, what's really, really, really fascinating about Jesus in this moment, in this story, is he's telling one story, and he's telling it to two groups of people at the same time, right? So he's one story, he's communicating two themes, and it's two different groups of people. And the groups of people are insiders and outsiders. And everybody in that, in that gathering knows whether they are, and when he tells that story about the sheep, about all these sheep are in the fold and there's one lost, every single person listening there is saying, okay, I fit into this parable somewhere. I'm either one of the ones in the fold or I'm one of the ones wandering and lost. So let me challenge you today, just as we sit here silently in your own heart and your own mind, when you hear Jesus tell this story, where are you? Which one are you? Where do you place yourself? Are you one that says, you know, I am, I am wandering. I am lost. I am alone. I, I, I need someone to, 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 you know, bring healing and hope and, and mercy to me to bring me home. Or do you feel like, you know, I'm one of the ones inside. I'm, I'm part of God's family and I'm, and I'm confident in the shepherd that is, you know, speaking to me and I'm, and I'm, I'm here with him. Where are you in that story. You don't have to say it. You don't have to write it down, but just think about it because I want to talk for the next couple minutes about what he's saying to those that are outside and to those that are inside. Okay. Because he's saying this one story, but to the outsiders, he's saying, number one, you are loved. Number one, you are loved. And as you hear that, you may think, you know what? That's a Christian cliche. I see that on bumper stickers. I see that on t-shirts. Jesus loves you, blah, 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 right? Got it. But I don't think that we truly grasp what he's saying there. He's saying that you, the God of the universe, personally knows, personally cares, personally loves you. 
No matter where you're at, no matter where you're from, whatever, wherever you're coming from, he knows, cares, and loves you. I think most of us, when we hear that, we say, we think of it like this. God loves me if, right? God loves me if I am acting right. God loves me if I measure up. God loves me if I believe the right things. God loves me if I'm doing the right things. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying in this parable. He's saying precisely when you are not doing that is when my heart is pounding for you and I'm coming after you in that moment. In that moment, it's it, Romans, Romans 5, 8 says, for while we were yet sinners, he loved us. He's saying in this parable, it has nothing, there's no contingency. There's no, there, there, there's no qualification. He loves you when you're not that. And he's coming after you. That's what he's saying to the outsiders. Number two, he's saying you are sought by God. You're sought by God. Um, it's one thing to be loved in the abstract. It's another thing to be sought after, to be pursued in the, in the real, right? There was a, there was a story last summer um, about a Belgian man uh, whose son had gotten radicalized online um, by some jihadist groups and, and uh, a, a sort of a subset of, of Al-Qaeda. And this teenager from Belgium, you know, uh, ran away, went to Syria, got totally involved in this militant group, and the father found him online, saw him, saw pictures and videos of him online participating with this radicalized group. And so the father, who was former uh, Belgian military, got on a plane and flew to Syria and started seeking his, trying to find his son. And at one point, he was actually captured um, by, by this group. And he, in, in the paper, he was quoted as saying this. He said, they beat me. They almost killed me. They took all of my clothes. They put cuffs on me, and I was almost dead. Uh, but they didn't kill him. He ended up, they ended up releasing him, and I don't, I don't know why they did, but ultimately they didn't kill him. They released him, and rather than go back to Belgium, he continued to pursue his son, and after several months, he actually found his son, and here's how he describes the first time that they came face to face. He says, I never cried when I was searching for him, when I didn't know anything, but the first time I saw him, he said, the first physical contact... I held him like a small baby. And this is a quote from the article. He says, because he was just like a little child who had lost his way. The father is out seeking this son, risking life and limb to pursue this son who has gone astray. That's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like. It's like a shepherd who's going out after you, pursuing you, seeking you. The hounds of heaven are coming after you to try to find you and heal you and bring you home. That's number two. Number three, Jesus is saying, and by extension, we are saying, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. That's point number three to the outsider that Jesus is talking about. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where you haven't felt welcome. Have you ever been? We, we did a wedding. I did a wedding a, a couple weeks ago, and it was on this property, and there was a, um, a country club on the property, and it was a very hot day. And my wife, we pulled up. My wife was with me, and she said, you know what? I'm just going to pop in there and get a glass of water. Just a glass of water. And so I said, okay. So I went over to where the wedding was going to happen. It was outside. And she goes over to this country club, and, which will remain unnamed, uh, but will be published on the website, by the way. So, um, no. Um, <laughs> but she goes over there, and she opens the door, and she's dressed for a wedding. She looks nice, you know, and, you know, she's, she's 
so sweet and pretty and you know I mean but anyway so she goes in and the manager of this club country club like comes bounding over and's like uh yes what what's happening you know like literally physically blocking and she's like um I just was seeing if I could get a glass of water and he says no, 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 no. This is, a, this is an exclusive country club. There are only 200 members here. You're not actually even supposed to be standing in the lobby right now. And he forces her out of the country club. She does not get the glass of water. At which point, you know, when I heard about it, if I didn't have a wedding to go to, I was about to lose my Holy Ghost and go over and talk to the guy, but, <laughs> but I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't, you know, they don't go to church because they think, you know what, I'm not going to fit in. I'm not going to feel welcome. I'm not going to. And our church, that's not us. That's not what Jesus, Jesus is saying, you are welcome here, right? If you walk into this church, that's what I love about this church. Our greeting team, our hospitality team, every, you know, our setup team, our, you know, prayer team, everybody is working to, to make you feel welcome. Uh, to make you feel that the love of Christ is being extended to you through us. You are welcome here. And then number four, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, come home. Just come home. So if you today are sitting there going, yeah, but I'm not sure if I believe everything that I'm not totally lined up with, come home. But I'm, not, I'm still wandering about this and that. Come home, he's saying. But I don't know if I totally will fit because I have some ideas that don't. Come home. You can just come home, and we'll just work it out together. All right? We'll just work through it together. We'll talk through it. It's, it's the family of God, and Jesus is saying, wherever you're at, wherever you're coming from, come home. Okay? Come home. That's what he's saying to those that are outside the fold in this one story. And then he's saying, at the same time, through the same story, he's talking to the insiders, those who feel that they are already home, that are, they're comfortably in God's fold. Here's what he's saying to them. He's saying, number one, be inviting. Be inviting. Be a place where we bring people in and they feel welcomed and they are at home with us. So I'm going to show you. A, 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 have you guys been wondering why these three chairs are up here? Yeah. Okay. So now you're going to know. So um, these three chairs represent three periods in history. Okay. This chair to my right represents the last 2,000 years. The millions of people over the last two millennia who have fought and died and prayed and read and taught the evangelists and the, and the, you know, the preachers and the, you know, the monks and the priests and the nuns and the, everybody for the last 2,000 years who have given their life to bringing the story of Christ's love and mercy to us here today. That's this chair. None of us think about this. We are connected to Jesus through a chain of people who brought the message to us. 2,000 years. For me, this, this chair is, is representative of uh, my, my, my grandma and grandpa Yaden on my mom's side. You know, grew up dirt poor, you know, born in Indian territory, Cherokee, part Cherokee, part Irish, you know, was a, was a cow you know, poker, a cow farmer, you know, like a cowboy, cowboy. That's the word. Um, can you just edit that from the, uh, so anyway, cowboy, but you know, and, 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 you know, they came, they came, they heard the gospel and just shared it with their kids. And this chair represents my, 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 you know, guy in Lily Rome on my, on my dad's side, also eighth grade education, 
just grew up poor. He was a bus mechanic, you know, fought in the three C's. He was a boxer and just like a rough guy who somebody shared the gospel with him, you know, and then he became a follower of Jesus. And he brought my fa- my dad up in that, uh, you know, in that faith, in our faith. And that's, that's what this chair represents. This is the, these are the people, you know, upon whose shoulders we stand. Okay. That's this chair, this chair that you, that I'm in and that you are in right now, this represents the present right here, right now. This is you and me. This is us. We are now in the, the presence of hearing the, the gospel and hearing the Bible and we're affirming it and we're following it and we're seeking to follow Jesus. This is us. This chair represents those friends of yours, those colleagues of yours, those children of yours, those students of yours, those friends and family and neighbors who have not yet been introduced to the gospel. That Jesus is inviting you to invite them. He's inviting you to reach out to them and saying, hey, if, if, if you know of anybody in your life who you think could, ex- who could benefit from the experience that you're experiencing here at U-City Family Church, this is them. Invite them. It's that chair. It's that empty chair where you say, you know what? I've, I want to tell somebody about God. I want to tell somebody about Jesus. And they, it may feel awkward to you, but if you need a lesson in doing it, just hang out with me someday. Just roll with me because I do it all the time. I talk to everybody I know, uh, literally, and just say, hey, you know, come to church. Some say no. Some say yes. Some of you are here today because I asked you and maybe I asked you twice or maybe ten times. But ultimately, here you are. Um, this is, this is, this is the, 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 the friend and family member that, ha- that is out there who is wandering and is struggling and finding it hard to get through life. And God's saying, invite them in. The shepherd went out and found that one and put them on his shoulder and brought him back in. So that's number one, be inviting. Number two is be connecting. Be connecting. Um, there was a study from the University of Chicago, uh, and it found that this is what it found. It's, it found that loneliness and social isolation is absolutely lethal. Uh, according to this study, it said this. Loneliness can impair cognitive performance, compromise the immune system, and raise the risk of vascular, inflammatory, and heart disease. This study showed that loneliness increases the risk of, de- of early death by 45%, whereas people who have strong ties to a community are as much as 50% uh, less at risk of dying over any given period of time than those with fewer social connections. That's just the University of Chicago. That's why the motto for our life groups is join a life group or die. Because, um, no, that's not really it, but that would be a good one. Um, people come to church. The first time that people come to church, it's usually there's something going on in their life. They either just got married, or they just got divorced, or they just had a baby, or they just lost their job, or they're just moved. There's something going on in their life that's causing them to need to reach out for some help. That's why people come to church. And what they're seeking is, they don't even know what they're seeking. They're seeking the love of God, but that happens through connections. That happens through relationships. People stay when they build relationships with God and other people. So what I, what I say for us as a church, I'm just doing some teaching this summer, you guys. We're just getting, getting into it. But, but for us as a church, let's be connecting, right? Let's just, when we come here, find that person that you're unfamiliar with. And go talk to them. Go meet them. Go greet them. I, you know, just reach out to them. In fact, let me tell you this. The coffee that's here, you know, that when you come in and you get coffee, you know when that's freshest? 9 a.m. 
That's when I start drinking. It's good at 9 a.m. 9.30, it starts to get a little, you know. But 9 o'clock, come, the doors are open. Just come on in, get a coffee, grab a granola bar, hang around, listen to them, practice, meet some people. You know, be connecting. Just find a way to reach out to somebody else and be connecting with them. Build that community um, because relationships is what it's all about. Um, okay. And so this is number three, and I'm going to close with this. Be celebrating. Be celebrating. This is what Jesus is saying to the insiders. When those people that you don't know who are just starting off, who are just getting it figured out, who don't quite know if they've got it together, who might have it all wrong, who may think that, you know, they may have it completely backwards, celebrate them coming into the door. Jesus, in this passage, in Luke, he told three stories. He told the story of the lost sheep. That's the one we just talked about. Immediately after this, if you look in in, in Luke, the next story is the lost coin about a woman who loses a coin, and he says she's going to sweep the house until she finds that coin, and she's going to rejoice when she finds that coin. And then the third story he tells is about the lost son, Luke 15, the prodigal son, the son that ran off and blew it and ended up in a pigsty and finally came home, and his dad was standing on the portal, standing on the porch, waiting for him and saying, come home, come home, right? Three stories. You know how every single one of those stories ends? With a party. With a party. In the passage, Jesus says this. And when he comes home, go ahead and put that slide up. When he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Our mission as a church is to reach out to those who are wandering and off track and alone and afraid and uncertain and invite them in. Bring them in, be inviting, connect with them, grow with them, serve, make them part of our family, and then celebrate. Let's be, I don't know any church that will find an excuse to celebrate as much as our church. I don't know any other church that has Christmas Eve at the Duck Room at Blueberry Hill, but you City Family Church did that a couple years ago. Let's be a church that is inviting, that is loving, that is connecting, that is serving, and that is celebrating. Right? Let's love. Let's connect. Let's party. Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your your words. Thank you so much for this um, powerful story that speaks to literally every person in this room today. Those who are have gone astray, those who are not sure uh, where they are in terms of their relationship with you um, and that are seeking you and that are uh, uh, trying to reach out to you and that don't quite know where they fit. We just pray, Lord, that you would uh, let them know and let them feel your love for them uh, and that you're in pursuit of them, God, and that, and that you're, you're welcoming them and that you want them to come home. Father, we just pray that each person uh, in our congregation feels that and knows that. And God, for those that are died in the wool, Christians, they've been in the church all their life, help, help them and help us, Lord, to be inviting and be connecting and be celebrating with those who are just coming in. Let us be a church that is not focused on ourself, but that's focused on the one that's out there in the field. Let's be a church that keeps our eyes open and scans the horizon for those who are seeking, those who are searching, those who are lost. And let us be a church that reaches out to them wholeheartedly, joyfully committed to your gospel and reaching out to them and bringing them into your fold and bringing them into your love and into your mercy and into your grace and letting them experience the same things that we're experiencing, the freedom 
the freedom of following you, of being redeemed by your sacrifice. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name to you. Be the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.